genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises, a movie at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today we are continuing our miniseries on the Men in Black franchise, and today we're talking about the even longer-awaited sequel to the lukewarm sequel to the massive hit 2012's Men in Black 3. And we have a guest joining us to talk about time jumps, chocolate milk, and giant neutralizers. Neuralizers. Neuralizers. <laughs> a fellow podcaster and Men in Black remake facilitator, Sam Gash. Hi, everyone. Hey, Sam. <laughs> and today we're talking about Men in Black 3. Uh, Sam, what, what, what's, your, uh, what's your overall background opinions on like the Men in Black franchise in general? Oh, I love Men in Black. I think the the first movie is a masterpiece. Like I love it. Obviously, I'm sure you guys talked about how amazing Vincent D'Onofrio is, um, which is some mm-hmm. of the one of those things that, like, as an adult, I appreciate it more because when I was a kid, it freaked me out. Um, the the time where I spent the time where I spent most of my time, uh, the area of the franchise where I spent most of my time, and I know you're not talking about it, is I used to watch the Men in Black cartoon growing up constantly, and I still hold mm-hmm. it up as like kind of in my head and i haven't gone back and rewatched it. i don't know if it holds up as like the ideal for movie to tv cartoon adaptation because i loved it mm-hmm. to the point where like one of the first features i ever wrote is still kind of like men in black meets league of extraordinary gentlemen i love men in black but i'd never seen this movie nick nick and i just uh rewatched watched like the first episode of the animated series because it's on crackle so we were like oh we're curious so we like popped on the first episode and it's all on crackle right yeah yeah the whole series is on crackle i i uh i got like slammed in the face with nostalgia as soon as the theme (laughs) song started i was like oh my god i forgot how much i watched this show um yeah it's uh it's kind of crazy i really appreciate how the animated we just watched the first episode but how it translates and appreciates the dryness Mm -hmm. of the first one Mm -hmm. and it gets like the humor Mm -hmm. and yeah, and I, I just remember as a kid, like you said, Sam, like being like, oh, this wasn't made for... You can always tell when you're getting like peddled something as a kid. <laughs> and, and this felt like kind of, oh, this is cool. Like there's like, the, I remember like the grime of the city. Mm-hmm. Everything looks a little dirty. And I think mm-hmm. we can all agree that the worms were the original minions. <laughs> for uh, sure. In a way. Yeah, for sure. What a, what is, what, what a, what a, I want to visit the earth where uh, on the, in Universal Studios, we have a giant worm guy. <laughs> overlooking (laughs) universal city yeah (laughs) so 2012 this movie comes out nick i know you have a great story from seeing this i i just remember and in similar to yours as you'll get to i just remember going to see this opening night 
and being like one of, or I guess I was, I was seeing it with uh, my 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 still partner Bethany, the um, new girlfriend, but, at the time. but but new girlfriend. Well, a year in a year okay. at the time, but we were uh, we we were seeing this movie, and you know her biggest uh, connection was to the sequel. That was the one that she watched all the time mm-hmm. was Men in Black Two, and so we were seeing this third one, and I just remember being like, wow, no one is psyched for this movie. Like more Men in Black, that's fun, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's taken a long time for this to come out, but why isn't anyone as excited about this? And then like you know we watched it, and I just remember thinking like. That was pretty good, right? Like, why doesn't everybody? <laughs> why? Why isn't anyone like excited about this? Like, I liked yeah, that. That was that was fun. It was 2012, Scott. It was the year of the Avengers. That's that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is it's like okay, Men in Black Two comes out in 2002. Just to like really put a fine point on this, 2002 was the same summer as Sam Raimi Spider Man and Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. So that's when Men in Black 2 came out. Men in Black 3 comes out the same summer as The Avengers and Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and not for nothing, but like weirdly another Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. Oh, right. Sure. Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I forget. I always forget that that's also that year. Sure. So does everyone. <laughs> it's an insane summer. We did but, then and we still do today. But, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Wow. So I guess old Men in Blacks can only come out this year of like a Spider-Man reboot. Um, <laughs> is that uh, is that when the next one came out too? Did that come out during? Homecoming? No, no, I don't. I, well, we well got, no, yeah, international far, came out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, far, far from, from home. home. <laughs> yeah, also international. Spider Man international and <laughs> Men in Black international. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's crazy how different a world this movie was coming out in, and everyone had collectively moved on. Had moved on from from Barry Sonnenfeld. Had moved on from. Tommy Lee Jones in a lot of ways, as, at least as a as a franchise star, yeah. right? Even, and Will Smith. Even yeah, even Will Smith. Because by 2012, if we can remember, everyone, uh, this was after like Hancock, yeah. and Seven Pounds. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't like Pursuit the, of Happiness. Pursuit of yeah yeah, but that was like a really good movie. He <laughs> he was coming off of like. He wasn't the coolest guy in the world okay. like, he, like he was in 1997. I oh. see now what you're doing. I didn't I, oh, I okay. wouldn't put together that you were mentioning bad movies until now. Okay, yes. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't like the coolest guy in the world like he was in 97 or even 2002. Yeah. So like it was now that we're coming towards the end of it, like this the narrative I'm starting to see is this was kind of always like an oddball underdog franchise. Mm-hmm. Like always kind of coming out the same summer as things that were bigger and now i want to say the, the good i really like the avengers but you know a little bit more deluxe yeah blockbuster stuff i mean yeah that f- maybe feels like a surprise for like 2012 but like now you think about it and you're like oh well of course you're going to be coming out during a year that something other big thing is happening like sure i mean at this at this point i feel like it's kind of expected so it's going to be interesting to see what what the future of this world is because yeah for the past 10 years it's mm-hmm. been every summer you hear about one big colossal 200 dollar movie just mm-hmm. tanking i mean even mm-hmm. 2020 was the year of sonic the hedgehog yeah it i mean it's that's the thing is like with this it, it's just it's not so much that like it came opposite these massive temple movies and it just couldn't compare it was just that like the franchise itself was just it was like it was like it was the equivalent of like Rocky and Rocky Balboa, 
where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to fight again. It's like, you're an old man and you need to retire. Like, <laughs> relax. Like, it's it's not your time anymore. I know you're trying and, and God help you. You know, maybe you'll go through, you'll go all nine rounds. But like, God, it's the Avengers and Dark Knight Rises. Like, sure. it's just not going to work and, anymore for and, you. And it was the summer of 2012. Um, and my friend Hunter and I were like super psyched about, we would, just, we would see every movie at midnight. And so- it was summer, so we were back home in our hometown. We went to go see Men in Black 3. And, uh, and so, yeah, we went into the theater. It was, like, at midnight, and we bought uh, our theater. just built, like, XD, like, the Cinemark XD Ooh. wing, where it was, like, IMAX. And so it had, like, these really nice, like, Corinthian leather seats. And, uh, and we're, like, the only ones in the theater, like, just the three of us. And so we're just sitting in this, like, church. And, uh, like, the teenagers that, like, worked there are like, hey, uh, this was, like, you know, Thursday night, we had, this was like our midnight event. We have all this like merch, this Men in Black 3 merch that we were going to like raffle off or do like trivia and stuff. But like, it's just you guys. So do you just want all of it? <laughs> so we just like sat there watching Men in Black 3 with our like Men in Black 3 posters and like a blow up inflatable like gun. I think my favorite part of that story is not even the movie theater employees wanted any of that stuff. They were just like, no, can you just take it? Can you just get it out of here, please? I mean, the real follow-up question to that is, how much of that merch do you still have? Uh, the poster we we held on to for sentimental reasons because we were like, oh, remember that fun night where, when this happened to us? And like Scott said, we had like a Ben and Black Three is a super fun movie, and mm -hmm. so it felt like a. And we were like, we're the only ones in the theater, so we could. It was just fun. It was a it was a fun night at the movies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry to end it on an earnest note, guys. <laughs> So, uh, in the wake of 2002, speaking of earnestness, Barry Sonnenfeld was effing tired. He was exhausted during the process of Men in Black 2. He was riddled with questions, and the studio interfered a lot. So, Columbia and Barry Sonnenfeld were not on the best terms. Mm -hmm. And according to Walter Parks, the producer, uh, there was just no sense of urgency to make a third one right away. Everyone was doing their own thing, so why bother? Mm -hmm. Barry Sonnenfeld, at this point, too, had discovered TV pilots. And was doing a lot of TV pilots and getting a lot of work that yeah, way. and that'll come up later. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, no, you're fine. But it's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sonnenfeld was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm mm -hmm. good. And so was Columbia and Sony until around 2005 mm -hmm. when they started getting hungry for another Men in Black. They asked a few directors, including Michael Bay. Oh. Uh, but nothing really ever. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, what, what would a Michael Bay Men in Black look like? Uh, like a Bad Boys movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess that ain't fair enough. <laughs> Ask and answer. So around uh, as the 2010s were dawning, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld came to Sony and said, like, look, I would like to I think I'm still the best person for the job. I would like to come back. I'll take a pay cut and I, I want to finish the trilogy. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. So they uh, get this gentleman on April 1st, 2009. Sony announced three movies, Men in Black 3. Spider-Man 4, directed by Sam Raimi, and Ghostbusters 3. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. This is a rough time for Sony. Yeah. In terms of, like, announcing stuff that wouldn't get made. They, well, they yeah. kind of they Development saw, hell. Well, they kind of saw the writing on the wall. They were kind of foretelling this age of franchises that were just now theoretically on the other side of. Right. And they were like, what do we have in our arsenal? Marvel's got the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Fox has the X-Men. What do we have? We have the Men in Black. Yeah. We have big guns, aliens, Fourth of July. Yeah. yeah. This is our franchise. Let's do it. Yeah. So Ethan Cohen got it, cut his teeth on Beavis and Butthead, wrote movies like Tropic Thunder, which was like his biggest movie at the time. According to Walter Parks, it was the most fun development he ever had. The first draft was out of this world. Uh, the story pro 
Uh, the story process took about six weeks of like outlining and beat sheets. So the reason for the all of this work in the story was because of time travel. Mm-hmm. This was going to introduce time travel. And that element actually is credited to Will Smith. Oh. On the set of Men in Black 2, according to Barry Sonnenfeld, he was sitting there slumped in his chair, wondering if he was having a heart attack. And Will Smith comes out of his trailer and is like, I have an idea for part three. I go back in time and meet a young K. And Barry Sonnenfeld was like, please, can we just focus on this one? (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, they hook back around and still like that idea. Mm -hmm. And as any uh, screenwriter will tell you, time travel is a big pain in the ass Mm -hmm. and is like asking for headaches. Mm -hmm. Boy, is it. (laughs) (laughs) so the first draft it sounds like it was written relatively event free but when it came to the film's second and third act when the time travel shenanigans started happening Mm -hmm. things started getting away from walter parks laurie mcdonald and even ethan cohen and they brought on two uncredited screenwriters david coop and jeff nathan's jeff nathanson david kep david kep yeah 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 it's kep i i had to learn that when i was doing research for spider-man for spider-man minute oh cool yeah yeah uh yeah and so it was um those two were hacking away at the time travel stuff. There's a lot of quotes in that in the book about Walter Parks being like maddened by the time travel mm-hmm. physics aspects to it. So it actually eventually ended up affecting the way they were going to film the movie. Well, that and money. <laughs> <laughs> it's always money. <laughs> so Sony wanted principal photography to begin in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the plan was that they would film until December and then take a two week break. Oh, I remember this. And, I remember when this went down. Okay, And yeah. this two-week break was for two things. It was to give more time to rewrite the script. They would be rewriting Act 2 and 3 of this movie into principal photography. Oh, no. So the gap was for script reasons, but also a big, huge New York tax break that was going to take up 30% of the film's budget. Mm-hmm. So that and script stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're filming Act 1. Things are going great. We'll get into it while we're talking about it. But Christmas break comes, and the script still isn't there. So that two-week winter break would end up stretching until March. And the reason Scott knows about it is because this was 2012. We had things like Badass Digest, Slash Film, Ain't It Cool News. Nerds had access to information now about film productions being troubled. Yeah. So word got out on the web that this was a, quote, troubled production. Word also got out about Will Smith's 53-foot-long trailer, including a kitchen, a gym, a private cinema that was less than a mile away from his home. Cool. Wow. So. You know, all of a sudden, Men in Black 3 became like a thing. Yeah. Filming picked up again in March. But yeah, this was, um, it sounded like, I, I, Scott and I have both dabbled in time travel stuff. Sam, have you ever written like time travel stories and stuff? <laughs> I it's, actually it's... don't think I have. Like, I'll either set something in the future or I'll set something now. And rarely the two shall meet. Like, I, mm. I haven't actually done a time travel story yet. But yeah, and as we'll talk about in this movie, it just... Even a, a, a Swiss watch of a movie, like I believe this one is, and something, of course, Back to the Future, there's always going to be holes. There's always going to be yeah. little things that don't quite match up. And right. so we'll get into it. Right. Yeah, I, that's, I, you know, it's, it's what they always say. And, like, I hear this a lot with comics where, you know, you'll have, like, this massive event, like Civil War, right? Marvel Civil War. That book did not come out. It took, it was six issues or seven issues, and it took, like, a year and a half for the whole thing to come out it delayed everything going on at marvel because they couldn't release certain comics because they were spoilers for future issues of civil war (laughs) and so it was a disaster i mean it was 18 months and and to get six or seven issues out and it was like it was this disaster and the thing that everyone kept saying was 
it's a disaster now, but once it comes out and it's all out, everyone will just remember, oh yeah, that's Marvel Civil War. They're not going to remember that this took 18 months to come out and all of these things like apparently Watchmen took forever to come out and Dark Knight Returns took forever to come out, but no one ever remembers that, right? They just remember like, oh yeah, of course, that legendary classic comic. And I feel like this in my brain, I totally forgotten about all of this, all of this production stuff, because I just watched the movie and I was like, oh, yeah, that's the other Good Men in Black movie. Like, yeah, But at the time, you're, I remember my friends like, they freaking paused production. They're still writing this. Yeah. <laughs> this is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it, it sounded like chaos. Um, and and and, you know, but the it, it turned out OK, I think, because um, I think this movie is not as good as the first one, but. Uh, it's what I wanted a sequel to Men in Black to feel like mm-hmm. and be like and features a story with like an emotional core, which the second one didn't even really have much of one. You know, it felt like a real movie, whereas like the second one almost felt like an episode of a Men in Black TV show, you know, but a bad one or like worse than the animated series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, like a like a bad like a bad episode where it was like, well, that was pointless. Well, the second There's... one is we have to get everything back to like the status quo. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in, and and so and they take too long to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm with I'm, I agree with Scott. I think this was revisiting it for the show. This was had such a blast of creativity and wit that I think the second one was lacking. Mm-hmm. Sonnenfeld seems like he's having much more fun behind the camera and just able. There's just more of him in this movie mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. And I think behind the scenes, like tech and 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 craft and production everyone is just having a ball and just doing some of their best work mm-hmm. uh and we'll and we'll talk about it and it's in terms of Seinfeld's theatrical career it's wedged between two awful movies like rv and nine lives oh, um that's no. what that's what that's, that's what crazy. this is wedged in between wow yeah uh wow, his television career really did like flourish oh yeah and it did but the, what what, the, what yeah what's yeah. crazy is you don't see most of it because a lot of it are failed pilots pilots that didn't get picked up mm. he did a pilot for beverly hills cop that was a that was a show that was going to get made written by sean ryan of the shield fame <laughs> and directed by baron barry sonnefeld that is a pilot that exists that might as well not exist because axel we'll never foley. see it Can you remember uh, it was he wasn't Axel Foley. Oh, okay. He was Aaron Foley, <gasps> Axel's son. Axel's son, Whoa. because their hope Gas. was that one day they would be able to get Eddie Murphy to be on the show. Yeah, but jokes on them, the show didn't get picked up, so <laughs> that never happened. And that's the plot to coming to America. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. But uh. Uh. Yeah. Barry Sonnenfeld, man. Yeah. It was. It was nice seeing him again in like this modern setting, and I. I. I, I hope that he has more movies mm-hmm. in the future. That he'll be able to do because I do like him a lot. Yeah. I just think that he's very dependent on the quality of the script. I agree with that when it comes to the movie as well. Yes. Sam, this is your first time watching it, period. Yes. What were your like general overall thoughts? So this movie came out in 2012. I moved to L.A. in September of 2010. So I remember this movie coming out. I remember seeing the big posters everywhere. And I've ne- up until very recently, I was never the sort of person who liked to go see movies by myself in theaters. Mm. And I just remember like this movie kind of came and went and I was like, oh, I guess I guess I didn't see it. And I never felt compelled to watch it. So I was kind of excited that I get to watch this movie now uh, for this because I've seen the first two. I've seen International. And as I was watching the movie, I, I, I enjoyed it. Like I had a lot of fun. I was like, this is super great. As I'm getting further away from having watched it and the more I'm thinking about stuff that happened in the movie, I'm liking it less. Mm. Mm. But in the moment, it was a lot of fun. 
super fun. Okay. Good action sequences. I thought all the actors did a phenomenal job. I just thought it was a goofy, fun movie, and that's all I want in a Minute Black movie. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely it captures the first one in that it feels more like a lark mm-hmm. yeah. and a fun, a quick, fun ride. Like the planet is technically in danger, but it never tries to feel like an end of the world type movie. Right. But and also, but like the first movie, you also understand why the Earth is in danger as opposed to the second one where you never quite got a handle on why or how the Earth was in danger. We kind of went into it where it's like, wait, if Rosario Dawson's the light of Zarfa, then why is why is (laughs) why are they invading now? Right. What's this time arbitrary time limit for? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and th- this has, and, and this gets us right into the, the walkthrough of the movie, you know, a villain that is uh, well-rounded and you understand where he's coming from as much as you understand like Vincent D'Onofrio's, you know, bug in an Egger suit. Yeah. Um, he's definitely kind of a course correction over Lara Flynn Boyle. Who, who was yeah. like nothing. It was like a nothing character. It was like a, it was a vibe. And that was kind of the whole thing. She's hot. Yeah. yeah. She's hot, but she's a scary alien. She's scary, intimidating. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we open this movie with the introduction of Boris the Animal, um, or like, just Boris, as actually, he likes to be. As he prefers. <laughs> yeah, as he, he prefers. Respect people's names. He doesn't want to be called yeah. that. Which also continues uh, the trend that we lost in the second one from the first movie. The bug in the Edgar suit hates it when people kill bugs. Boris hates it when people call him Boris the Animal. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, I like that they're like, okay. What worked? What worked? And let's try and 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 repeat that in a way that doesn't feel so obvious that we're repeating it. It's a who is a cool, exciting, kind of fun comic character actor, Jermaine Clement. Yeah, uh, Jermaine was in uh, Dinner for Schmucks, which was produced by Walter Parks. Oh, uh, not a fan of that movie. No, but uh, <laughs> it was it was there that um, yeah, Walter was like, hey, this is a cool guy. Um, that big metal plate that he's wearing. When he's like chained to the prison, yeah, uh, was way heavier when they actually built it than it was when he like went for testing, and he was apparently he was like a really good sport about it and, oh. and did his best. But that that apparently that chest plate was pretty heavy. I mean, dinner okay, for schmucks is not where I know uh, Jermaine Clement from. I actually couldn't tell you who he is in that movie, and I saw that movie. Yeah, well, it's where the producer of this movie found him and, uh, and why okay. he was cast. But um, yeah, obviously he's from uh, part of the Concourse. Concourse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I think that Boris the Boris is like design. You can, you can call him Boris the animal. Yeah, That's Boris great. the animal. Well, I think I think Boris's design is really interesting because he's just slightly off-putting in terms of like he looks like a human, except for the eye thing and then the weird neck thing that you don't understand what the weird neck neck thing is about until. Like the very end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really, I think it was a really interesting design from that aspect. It's like unnerving to look yeah. at. Yeah. Unnerving is a good word. And it's kind of like the quintessence of Men in Black for me is that like there's more under the surface than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Like look again, look deeper. And mm-hmm. so when yeah. his like little, when his eyes move and his hand moves, you're like, wait, what? what is this guy? Yeah. Like, how is he shaped? It's, it's, it's the famous uh, Men in Black catch line. Men in Black, more than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, Tell all or one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, his his design was great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this Lunar Max prison was shot in Kaufman Astoria Studios in Queens, New York. Wow. And the the production uh, the the set the set design look was inspired by the Captain of Doctor Caligari. Mm. I like the uh, Lunar Max 
concept. I like that we start off with a prison break and you're just sort of like, what's this alien dude doing in a prison with a bunch of regular people? Because you don't see a lot of aliens. You just see you just see mostly him. And yeah. then when he busts out and you realize he's on the moon, you're like, oh, OK. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> That's actually a, a question I had for either uh, for both of you that I wanted the movie to answer and never did is are those guards, those like kind of dumb Borish guards are are they men in black? I think so. I mean, they specifically say in the movie that they built the men in black built this prison for Boris. Okay, and then they also put some other people there. Yeah, none of those guys see men in black material. No, no. but you know what would have been really smart is if uh, Patrick Warburton was up there <laughs> as as one of them. That would have been fun. That would have been really good because then it's like, oh, this is what happens when you. When you get like flushed out of the out of the men hey, in black, hey, you about like, they send them to the moon. Yeah, right. They go to the lunar max. That's I mean, good. the other thing is that they could just all be legacies. They could just be children of the men in blacks. So they had to get raised a certain way, and you can't like throw your kid out because you got a job. So send oh, it, like yeah. you got it. It's a summer internship for a lot of these guards. Uh, they, oh, maybe they're working their <laughs> way up. I mean, they were working their way up, and then stuff happened. Sam, that's a built-in uh, Men in Black sequel idea. Is like a Men in Black like had a kid that they're not allowed to have or something. And, like, yeah, that's good. So this is a prison break, as I mentioned. Yes. A, a uh, attractive woman comes in with a cake, and that cake wobbles around like it's made of jello. Mm-hmm. You said you had notes on the cake. Yes. We all yes. had notes on the cake. <laughs> uh, the cake was designed by uh, Men in Black 3 returning champ Doug Harlocker, mm-hmm. who is, uh, Sam's pretty much been like the OG like prop master god of this whole series like mm-hmm. designed the guns does some good work here uh barry sonnenfeld had a lot of notes on the cake he wanted that cake to jiggle just right and <laughs> why he just he was he's a he's a visionary yeah okay fair enough. Doug, so there's like a part in the book where he's like i had to we worked on this cake for like a long time and was sending it back and forth and trying to get the what consistency what makes the color right what makes the jiggle right and it's just classic filmmaking because it's on screen for like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> just such a weird choice. It looks like it's made of like pudding or like like pudding jello or something. I don't know. It's like very frosting on jello. It was very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get the face hugger bug. Yeah. His hand bug. Yeah. yeah, his hand bug. Is it the same bug in both hands when he has both arms? Or Ooh. did he lose one of his buddies when Kay cut off his arm? And that's why he's so furious about it. My instinct says the first one. Okay. Is that it's one thing crawling through his body. Both arms. Yeah, because okay. he only got back the one and he said, I feel whole again. Yeah. Yeah. You know what this, this sequence reminded me of? Uh, to talk about another franchise, for talk shit about another franchise. Sure. This reminded me of a good, better version of that Grindelwald breakout from that uh, Fantastic Beast sequel. Yep. It remember, definitely does. You're right. Remember, he has a little animal friend and he's like, oh, thank you, Otoro. And then he like yeah. throws him out of the thing for no reason. God. That movie is, wow, dog shit. Another movie Um, I did not watch because I'm like, I don't need this. And you never have to. Um, It's another movie we saw like a big premiere gala event. Or not gala, but it was like, the fans, here for the fans. Enjoy and and don't spoil anything. Yeah, yeah. I got got free tickets to a thing and we watched it. We were like, that was awful. (laughs) And like the more we got away from it, we were like, wait, so they're on the side of the Nazis? What? Oh, man. It's crazy. Yeah. What a crazy movie. So here's my my question about the cake and the little alien monster. Yeah. (laughs) They scan the cake and it says 100% cake. No, it says organic. Uh, oh yeah i mean here's the thing these are the men in black 
They right. have yes. met tiny aliens before. <laughs> yeah. They, some of them are working for the Men in Black. Yes. Yeah. One of those guys very well may have been a tiny alien in a robot suit yeah. for all we know. We don't know. But you're you're right. Yeah. Like the, I didn't I wasn't getting I guess for the sake of it being a twist, maybe we weren't getting Men in Black vibes from any of this. Yeah. Right. Even like even like you said, with like the prisoners all being human. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, it just like it leaves more questions. It's like it's weird. Now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's other problems of like they're on the moon. So the explosive decompression wouldn't be quite as bad and you wouldn't fly out into space mm. on the moon. Really? You're on like the moon. Awkward. There's still gravity. Okay. But I there's no like, air. Yeah. But like that they happens, like he's holding her in place and then like that happens. The explosion happens. <laughs> oh, and it the, wouldn't happen the way it does like on a spaceship in a movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Fair enough. I wanna I wanna see it happen the way you're describing now. <laughs> I wanna see the realistic way that that would happen. Well, were they were they just continuously bounce on the moon forever? Like they just <laughs> Well they they would freeze and then bounce forever, but also like the air uh, all leaves. And, but then there's, they can still walk because they're still on the moon. So it's like, oh. like she's like, oh, well, you had a plan for this. You just, you just killed me. And he's like, yeah. And then you can watch her like race to death in front of him instead of just like flying out into space like they're in the middle of the Andromeda galaxy. Mm-hmm. Oh. It, it's like how in Guardians, how like, never mind. Remember there was some like how Peter Quill could like breathe in space. Yeah. Guardians galaxy for like a few seconds. Yeah, because yeah. he's like, uh, uh, he's part planet or something. Mm-hmm. And planet, planet. planets can, I don't know if you know this. Planets can breathe in space. Uh, I really enjoy Jermaine and uh, Jermaine Clement. He 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 really nails the tone of like he's not funny, but the movie is funny. Mm-hmm. Yes, like he's playing it all very straight. Yeah, it's actually a very similar performance to what he would later do in What We Do in the Shadows. Mm. Um, I I think in terms of like he is playing everything serious, but. By being serious in the situations that he's in, it is really funny, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he is very, very good at, like, balancing those things and, like, yeah. figuring out exactly how to play that up. Um, and then we're hurtled back to Earth. Yeah, we get a saucer crash. And I like how Jay has mastered his neuralization speeches. Where like now he's just like he's he has, like he almost has a template. Yeah, he has a template where it's like yeah, you know that thing that you always take for granted. Well, this is what happens. This is what you get. <laughs> so now now he's lying to people. Whereas prior to this, he was always like trying to like leave them better than he found them. Yeah, empathize with them or whatever. And now he's like, see that stupid thing you don't believe in that isn't real. It, it, that that's what you get. Because like the beginning of this is the cell phones, right? Cell phones on the on the airplane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then later he does it again, and it's uh, uh, flushing a goldfish down the toilet. Yep. Yeah. These like ur- like urban legend things. <laughs> it's really silly. So K and J have been on on the beat since two thousand and two. Yeah. Uninterrupted. They've been partners for ten years, and you definitely do not get the sense of like he's not calling him a rookie anymore, or or what have you. Still but- calling him slick. But he's still calling him slick, but that's that's all right. Um, slick, slick's good. He called me slick once when I was a bag boy at Publix. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I, I, you're I, the same. I, I wish I wish uh, Tommy Lee Jones calling you slick to like everyone who's listening to this yeah. because it makes you feel great. I feel, I'll be honest. I feel like you graduate from sport to slick. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so he also tips very well. 
So anyway, um, yeah, so they, they're they're a little more equal, but there's still like a sense of like K being like, you're a senior agent, but I'm like senior, senior, senior agent mm-hmm. because I'm one of the OG. I hand so. I handed flowers to the freaking first, the, the first <laughs> yeah. contact. Yeah, I handed I handed flowers to the Vulcans. You don't get more um, first contact than me. Right. Slick. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I wouldn't say that they've lost a step mm-mm. because they have, but I think that kind of leans into the they're like they're older and they're a little more tired mm-hmm. but like the back and forth still there yeah mm-hmm. yeah um we go to zed's memorial who's dead for some reason the actor hadn't died right yes i i do have i have there's a reason behind that okay um so before filming and before filming in 2010 uh rip torn got in some trouble he uh he wandered into a bank thinking that it was his house and uh he he was he was drunk and he had a handgun on him oh, oh that is so oh. so zed so zed died oh okay uh, but riptorn was still alive okay and, yeah uh so yeah they decided to opt out for riptorn returning as zed and was replaced by oh yeah playing emma thompson i, mean, I he played by emma thompson i, I liked would her. say I thought she was good yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good. And she's in International, which I haven't seen. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if they do anything interesting with her in that movie. I also um, like her in International. I I think what, okay. what I, I guess like um, Killing Zed is fine. And it, and it allows for like a really good emotional hook at the beginning to be like, this guy never reveals anything about his life or makes any emotional connections with anyone. What's the deal with that? This is how I know like this is how this organization handles death and the passing of time. Right. Like we see the wall of heroes where like the anonymous busts of fallen agents. Right. So it's like in the last movie, it's Jay coming to terms with the fact that like no one is ever going to remember him in real life. And now this movie is him coming to terms with the fact that like, Oh, people aren't going to even remember me in Men in Black. Like, <laughs> no one is going to give a shit about me and my life and the things that I did. Um, and I think that that's kind of uh, that's kind of an interesting. Uh, I think it's more meaningful than it was in the last one. The last one was a little more ethereal. The the feeling was a little more ethereal. Like, and where like, is this coming from? Like, where are you feeling this now? Yeah, right. Whereas this is this feel is like, oh yeah, no, I would be upset about that as well. Like. Where it's like, I'm not even going to be remembered by my coworkers, like, you know, like the <laughs> friends I'm making. But he was a good man. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I do think that uh, killing Zed, I, I, I have no issues with him killing Zed uh, in the modern timeline. But when we go back to the 60s, I'm a little disappointed that there's not a young Zed somewhere. It would have been really cool to see someone playing like young Riptorn. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could have been really cool. I mean, I guess I could see why if they're trying to distance themselves from Rip Torn specifically, specifically, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess that's a, that's a whole other, you know, can of worms, mm-hmm. but no pun intended. Um, uh, not those worms. It, yeah. feel, it felt like they really wanted X to be just like this prejudiced white dude in charge. His two lines, like, well, pff, aliens, Ugh. any human casualties. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great moment. And just like in two lines, you're just like, okay, F this dude. And then and I don't need to see him anymore. And then we didn't see him anymore. Yeah. X also kind of looks like Zed in the cartoon series, um, because Zed in the cartoon series doesn't look anything like Riptorn, as we've discovered. <laughs> kind of looks like Mermaid Man. Yeah, yeah, he does kind of <laughs> look like Mermaid Man. Yeah, and kind of looks like X a little bit. So yeah, so there's no personal connections between agents. There's no memories of agents. Like it's all very by the book. No emotions. Uh, and and is 
kind of strange because I don't remember that being a thing in the Men in Black until this movie. It feels like K just sort of became the men. Like they spread K's vibe out to like the whole agency mm-hmm. um, in this movie, which I think is is different than uh, what we had in the previous films. I don't know. In the sequel, it's kind of seemed to me like Jay's influence was sort of overtaking the place. Yeah. In the absence of K. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, absolutely. A brief, brief, brief little note on MIB headquarters in this movie. Uh, in part two, the production designer Bo Welch and Barry Sonnenfeld decided to leave things intentionally unchanged from part one to part two because they were like the men in black wouldn't change anything why would they the passage of time means nothing Mm -hmm. decades don't really mean anything they don't really follow trends and now 10 years after part two they sort of re-examined that and they thought well what if what if they did okay (laughs) what if they did change what if we did update it so i agree uh, with the decision (laughs) yeah i mean because how do you show a passage of time if like if the base looks the exact same in 2012 and whatever the year is 2002 yeah yeah. so the theme for the design going into part three was they're going deeper into the 21st century Mm -hmm. the palette's expanding a little bit we're seeing more white more gray Mm -hmm. it's not just black uh no visible paper oh Hmm. there are two men in black headquarters in this movie right and uh, we'll talk about how they how they pulled that off a little later on okay fair enough uh right now i want to talk about Wu's chinese restaurant and that whole sequence a lot of cool alien designs in this one, though I think once we get to the shootout, we do enter into a territory that um, I had problems with in the second Men in Black, which is that some of the creature designs that we're only getting for like a half a second don't have a lot of personality to them. They're just like kind of like, let's just throw like one little weird detail on them and then like they have, you know, ridges on their eyebrows or, you know, whatever. And that's kind of it. I've got one eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I do, I really like Wu. Like, I like his design. Like, when he rips his... The lower half of his disguise. Yeah, off. when he rips that off and he's like this centipede-looking thing with the with antennas. Antenna, yeah. Out of, out of his, his uh, kind of human head. Um, it's really, it was a really interesting design that I thought was pretty cool. Wu played by Keon Young, a voice actor with uh, over... Or an actor with over 247 credits. But wow. uh, a lot of the stuff that I... He's been in everything. But I, I remember his voice a lot in cartoons as a kid, especially like Hi Hi Puffy Ami Yumi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just one of those guys. We're like, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. he's great in here for a couple minutes. I, I like a lot of the stuff in here, like the illegal alien foodstuffs. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that would be a thing that the men in black would be in charge of, right? Yeah, of yeah. like, yeah, you can't feed humans aliens. Like, that's not good. Because there's those cool moments when they're like going through, quote, customs in Men in Black where they're like bringing in weird fruit right, and like little monkey alien type things. And yeah, like building on that. Yeah. it And you get like really cool creatures and stuff. Apparently in New York, animals fall under props. Oh. As opposed to California. So it fell on Doug Harlocker to design all of the the fish or to make all of the fish happen, like in the bowls and stuff. Interesting. Okay. Uh, they tried to find a real restaurant to shoot at Woo's. It's inspired by a real restaurant that uh, Ethan Cohen would go to in L.A. But Barry Sonnenfeld is like, I'm so specific. I want such specific lighting that I like sets because you can pre-light everything. So both the exterior and interior of Woo's is a really well, good-looking set. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That checks out for Barry Sonnenfeld. He seems like a guy who wants to, like, be in charge of all the accoutrement, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like the fish in the bowl that was like humanoid. And I like the big fish in the tank that attacks Jay. Yeah. The big fish in the tank that attacks Jay is great. There's like a, that quint moment where he's like hanging halfway out of the, out yeah. of the fish. I like really as good. he's getting eaten, he figures out like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. It's classic Jay. He's like using what's around him. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he gets snot and mucus on him really early on in the movie. It's it is funny. It is absolutely classic Jay. But in <laughs> retrospect of the second film, it's really interesting that he's now 15 years into being a Men in Black, and he's still not doing any like wire kung fu like they do in the second movie. Wow, you know what? You're bringing that up, and it, yeah, like uh, Sam in part two, like Zed and K have this really awkward like we're old, but we still have like action wire kung fu thing. Yeah, and I I really like K's brawler energy in this opening scene at Woo's. He's even older than in 2002, so you have to give some, you know, but I, I don't know. I bought it when he was, K was still busting heads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like it a lot more than him hanging upside down in an elevator with two guns. Yeah. Like a time crisis game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm slowly realizing that I kind of remember kind of like story elements from two, but I don't remember specifics at all. It's been so there- long since I've seen it. There's a moment where Zed jumps up and kicks Lara Flynn Boyle in the face while hanging in the air like like this, like just boom, 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 boom with his legs. <laughs> he, like uh, he like Luke Kang. Her? Yeah, like Liu Kang in like Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah, like yeah, just yeah. like kick, 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 kick. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, he does might that have had that sound effect because it's <laughs> like, is this how serious am I the viewer is supposed to be taking this? Yeah. Because, yeah, there was like a weight to the first one. Mm-hmm. When someone would get their back broken and shoved in a counter, mm-hmm. it was like over the top, but you still like felt it. Yeah, they were like, "You're they're dead. They're definitely <laughs> dead." Whereas here, a fish gets its heart ripped out, and then it's like alive again in the next scene. Yeah, Jay, you're right. Yeah, Jay, brutal. Oh, yeah. Like reaches into the fish. I mean, I didn't think that was its heart. I thought that was its guts. Something. Oh, really? I, yeah. Well, I didn't pretend. Wouldn't, like, that, wouldn't that kill you too, though? I mean, I don't know. All I know is that like you can't reach down something's throat and grab its heart normally. Well, it's an alien. Its heart could be anywhere. Well, you it's don't an know. alien. Who know, Who says it has a heart? That's true. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was his tonsils. You know what just now occurred to me in this moment? Mm-hmm. They didn't kill David Cross in this movie. Yeah. That's true. David Cross isn't in this one. He could have been somewhere... In the city where the when the Boglodites were like ripping the city apart, or alternatively, yeah. he got crushed by the uh, uh, UFO. Yeah, that yeah. he died in the very first scene. escape from yeah. the moon. You know, the satellite he, that cell phones took out. Yeah, right. He could have been got, in could, uh, Wicked Witch of the West. He could have been at the Andy Warhol party. Yeah, that'd have been good. They would have yeah. had him at the sixties. Ma, I'm in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay, so Woo. we oh go ahead. Well, after Woo's, was that like we go to their apartments? That... Yeah, yeah. We well, yeah. So we we go. Um, we have like that little uh, scene in the car where Kay reveals that he's the one who blew off Boris's arm forty years ago. Um, and still listening uh, to cowboy music, right? Um, but won't talk about won't talk to Jay about like what happened and what changed him because he's like, I think something happened to you that changed you. Uh, and and he was like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, and then that's where Jay starts learning that he, his access is denied to all, to a lot of stuff that he's like, no, no, I'm a senior, I'm a senior member. And, and O is just like, well, I mean, you know, (laughs) not that senior. I did love that line when O comes in and says, uh, above your pay grade. And he just goes, then give me a raise. (laughs) That was an amazing line. I loved it so much. That was really good, but then I'm like, "What do the Men in Black get paid?" And and now we're like at a place where like you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier just came out, and this it's in the conversation. It's in the conversation about like what people in secret organizations get paid. How are they yeah. compensated for their heroic efforts? Right, because like how is he paid? Because we see his apartment. It's looking it, nice. It it looks nice, but it's like a studio. It looks more right. like like a hotel, yeah. right? He's got that big 
portrait of Frank the Pug, which could not have been cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good that he remembers and pays tribute to those that were closest to him. Yeah, yeah. that's actually a uh, we mentioned in part two. Uh, the role of Frank was played by a few dogs, but none more so than Mushu, mm-hmm. who was amazing and did a lot of the Frank close ups and was just an incredible dog actor. And Mushu passed away in the in the 10 years between part two and part three. Unsurprisingly, because he was, at the end of the day, a dog. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and a uh, pug, specifically. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, coming back with, with, you know, this feeling like the closing of a trilogy, it just felt weird to do it without Mushu, as, as strange as that sounds. You yeah. know, uh, but so they decided that is actually a photograph of Mushu in Jay's apartment. Oh. Uh, just paying tribute. Uh, Men in Black International had no such issue with uh, bringing Frank the Pug back to life. Oh. No uh, spoilers. Oh, there's a pug. Yeah. Sam's got a pug beanie baby. Yeah, I just randomly have a pug beanie baby sitting on my table by happenstance. Perfect. But but yeah, so he has this small apartment. It is nice. He's got himself like uh, looks like a PS2 or PS3. Mm-hmm. Um, he's jacked. He yeah yeah definitely jacked. I haven't he, seen his arms this whole series. That's true. But but then like but it's like did he is he paying rent? Where is this apartment? It almost it's so Men in Black looking. It almost looks like it's like a. Like I, a dorm in the Men in Black headquarters. I, or something. I'm developing a headcanon as I speak that the Men in Black have like at any given moment like 26 properties throughout New York City because mm-hmm. there's 26 letters of the alphabet. Yeah. And they're just like live here. Right. So that we always know like where you are. That's I mean, yeah. as you will learn if you continue to watch the animated show is it's not just uh, it's not just like the Roman alphabet because the my favorite villain like one of my favorite villains of all time is in the animated TV show, and it's Alpha. Mm. Ooh, is he like the first agent? Uh, he might have been. I don't know, but he's an agent okay. that turns, and he's okay. Okay. he's just interesting. But like, it's Alpha. Yeah. When um when K goes, oh, we do meet an agent later on who is who's who's uh double A. Right. Yeah. Right. That's Will true. Arnett's double a, agent double A. Right. And that was the first time because they never do explain how there are so many of them. Like how what happens when we leave the alphabet? Right. What's your code? So name? then yeah. the question is, uh, the Barry actor whose name escapes me. Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Is he Agent W or is he Agent W? Ooh. Whoa. Good one. <laughs> I like it. Wow. All right. Fair enough. Because, yeah, Warhol's not his real name. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's Nom de Guerre. <laughs> Warhol's not his real name. <laughs> um. <laughs> I uh yeah, I don't know. Uh but it does it, it one thing that I think this movie does do well that the second one does not. Um and there's a lot of things that this movie does well that the second one does not. Yes. But even even in, in even against the first movie, I would say this movie does well um building off of the first movie because the first movie is all like Jay exploring this new world, you know, that that he's first, you know, seeing for the first time and we the audience are seeing for the first time. And the second one is just sort of recreating that. Here, they're actually doing some extra world building, which is, this is what their home life is like. Like, they can't yeah. be working all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And you get to see, like, oh, Jay wakes up every morning, goes over to Kay's house, picks him up. They go, and they go to a diner, and they have breakfast together, and then they go out on the job. And, like, that's not, that's sort of, like... Domesticity. Y- yes. That was not in any of the other movies, and I really, really like that about this one. Um, and I and I I want to see yeah. it's it's the aspect of this franchise that makes me want someone to turn this into a a like a TV series like an HBO Max like, series, yeah like yeah. a live action TV series which I think is gonna w- would be the best place for like the Men in Black franchise to continue would oh, yeah. be on it's, TV 
it's built to be monster of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Right? More so than like, you know, like it's so easy for blockbusters by their nature to become like the world. We have to stop the thing. And that's not always what men in black does the best. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I love the domestic like home life stuff of of this movie. I think it's really, really uh, well done. And I wanted more of it. It made me. Yeah, I don't know. It gave me like the warm and fuzzies of like it just feels like comfortable of like mm -hmm. hanging out with these guys, like going and get breakfast every morning. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that a lot. And it, yeah, it makes I miss sense. restaurants, too. Yeah, oh yeah, gosh i want to get pie yeah uh, i mean i don't remember the last maybe, time i had pie maybe that's just what it is maybe <laughs> i just miss going to restaurants i don't know yeah no but there is there is the comfort of yeah like watching these two characters like oh their lives didn't stop after 2002 mm -hmm. they've still been going on and yeah and kind of like going back to the 90s like what they found so fun about that idea bill solomon and walter parks and laurie mcdonald is like playing cop story tropes but just adding aliens to it yeah so like they're they're just two guys going to go on to be ah oh, forget about it partner let's go get some pie yeah but they're talking about alien stuff yeah yeah i love that i think yeah. it's great i think it's great it would work so well on tv directed uh, by barry sonnefeld yeah yeah for sure get him <laughs> yeah. to direct the pilot he would love it <laughs> he would do that in a heartbeat i bet so so yeah so he has this call with k where k is like apologizing but also still not explaining why he doesn't have access to this information and why he's not sharing things with his partner. Uh, but then we get this great scene I, that I think is really cool, which is like the last scene with Tommy Lee Jones until the very, very end of the movie, mm -hmm. which is like he hangs up with Jay. He's in his house, which is very different from Jay's. Definitely looks like an old man's house and uh, flips a switch. Rack a Doug Harlocker. Kind of <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy. And he picks one out. And then he sits in his chair, points to the door, waiting for Boris to come get him, not knowing that Boris is going to get him from the past. And then his whole apartment morphs and changes into some other lady's apartment who's a, a, a mother of, a, of a, little, uh, a little kid who loves chocolate milk. Yes. Yeah. Uh, played by Barry Sonnenfeld's daughter and granddaughter. Oh, and nice. And had my favorite line in the movie. Oh, I think I have a feeling what it is, but I'd like you to say it. <laughs> Mommy, the president stole my chocolate milk or stole my milk or something. And it took me a second to be like, oh, this movie came out when Obama was president. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it just slayed me. I thought it was so goofy and dumb. And it and could be a fun uh, thing for Twitter to find in five years when Will Smith plays the president. And he didn't say please. Please. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, Jay goes to pick up Kay in the morning and Kay doesn't exist anymore. He's gone. Yeah. And There's also a different guy holding the paper, right? He's different. Yep. Yep. And, a white uh, man. And he has a craving for chocolate milk. He makes a lesser agent go and get him some. Right, right. Um, and then that's how we learn about temporal fractures, which is that someone has changed the timeline and no one else notices but Jay, as we learn later, because Jay was there, mm -hmm. um, but not there yet. And so he, that's the reason why he's the only one who can remember Kay and... Even though the o way things are supposed anyone, to be. Yeah. Right, right. Whereas like, oh, knows of K because of, you know, him being one of the OG men in black. I think it's fun. I think the way that they do this is is pretty smart in, in terms of like the way that, you know, making making reasons for Jay to remember, whereas everyone else, because that's the problem, right? Is like if everything changed, then Jay shouldn't remember. So how can we make it so that he does remember? And like the chocolate milk thing is so specific. And I just I really like all of that. I think it's really it, it makes everything feel really like tactile 
in a way that I, I, I find very satisfying. As satisfying as Jay finds chocolate milk right now, mm-hmm. I would say. But yeah, we learned that Boris kills K in 1969. Yeah. And so now, whereas in 2012, he was the last Boglodite. Mm-hmm. Now there's a Boglodite invasion happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, so, they carry off the Eiffel Tower. Did you see that? Yeah. I did not see that. It was yeah. in the background on a TV. Yeah, they just take it away. <laughs> um, like the like, it reminded me of uh, the Martians and Mars Attacks. It's very Mars Attacks. Actually, Which is a movie Mar- I saw for the first time within the last few weeks. Oh, oh great! Yeah, uh, Mar- Mar- Mars Jones. Attacks meets Men in Black would be a really fun movie. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm I sure it's something that. Sony. I'm yeah. sure it's something Sony pitched, and we'll we'll talk about those spinoffs <laughs> <laughs> in another episode. Fair enough. So yeah, so he, Jay, realizes he has to go back in time, and the only way to go back in time, someone invented time travel once, and it was immediately outlawed because it's too dangerous. So he got so, sent to Lunar Max, and Boris killed him. Yep, and and found out that there are two time jump little devices, and they exist at a pawn shop run by that guy's son. And, and so Boris took one, and Jay shows up to take the other, and I think the concept of the time jump is one of the coolest things in this movie. I love it. And I remember seeing this movie in 3D, and it rules in 3D, the time jump. (laughs) I like the idea of like, yeah, if you want to go back in time, you have to jump off this building and trust that this thing is going to work. Yeah. Uh, That is terrifying, but in a really like satisfying way. And we see New York sort of building up and down through time Mm -hmm. as he's jumping. He falls through the market crash. He sees a man falling to his death, played by Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, after the market crash, that was dark. That <laughs> was that was pretty dark. <laughs> that was dark even for Men in Black. Yeah, but I love this whole concept of the time jump. I think it's like, I I it rules. I really think it rules. Um, and he lands in 1969. Lands in 1969. We get reintroduced to so f- first Jay like steals a car in a really like amusing scene. I think where he like acts like a what do you call him a, a valet? A valet. Yeah, yeah, acts like a valet. And uh, and takes a convertible, which is uh, which is fun. Leads to a really funny scene interaction with with, with two white co- two white racist cops who are like, <laughs> I just I love that scene. Just because a black guy's driving a nice car doesn't mean he stole it. I mean, I stole this one, but it's not because I'm black. I just I don't know that and, I love that whole scene. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and it's it, it's sort of classic. I mean, like Men in Black had moments where you know it's like oh, it came with a black dude, but it kept getting pulled over. Right. Little moments like that. And uh, there's also a really fun Frank the Pug Easter egg revealing that he's been on Earth since at least the 60s. Right. As a, as a circus act. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I love that Coney Island set. The Coney Island set is really nice. A lot of the sets in the 60s are really it really it just feels like it makes the movie feel like the ultimate Men in Black movie where it's like. We were doing 60s aesthetic, but now we're in the 60s. And so everything is 60s aesthetic. It's not like a mix with modern stuff. It's all 60s. Yeah, and I think all parties involved saw, except for Sony, saw this as like the end of an era, the last Men in Black movie, the end of the trilogy. Sure. And so it makes sense that they would want to like dovetail it in that kind of in that fun way yeah yeah it worked it worked great i it, it, the coney island sets uh amazing i mean it was just like every time they went someplace new i was like this rules i love all of this boris doesn't like hippies we get that weird scene with him on the the motorcycle laughing at the hippies or or making fun of their laugh or whatever it is he's doing <laughs> trying to, yeah, i don't know <laughs> that bike was a custom frame from a malibu chop shop and the most powerful v-twin engines that they could find Wow, uh, and the uh, the concept was they wanted the chassis to look like open heart surgery. It's an impressive bike. It's it's intimidating. Yeah, 
and I really dig Boris's like easy rider look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Jay's whole plan is he knows that young Boris kills like these three people, and he so he knows where he's gonna be, and he's gonna kill him before he can kill Kay, and therefore saving the timeline. He misses the first one at Coney Island. Boris gets to the guy. Roman first. the Fabulist. Yeah, he's got like a fortune teller turban kind of thing. He pulled the turban on off. Of course, his head is just shaped like a turban. He has like a big like 60s alien orb head. Yeah, like something out of Star Trek, which I really liked a Mm -hmm. lot. And then this is where we meet young K. Yes. Which I'm sure you have information on. (laughs) I do. (laughs) According to Barry Sonnenfeld, if there's one hero in this movie, it's Josh Brolin. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. Yeah, He has like a note perfect performance as not only Tommy Lee Jones, but K. And uh, yeah, there is quite a fun story behind it. Wait, I just want to, before you get into the story, I just want to point out that he is in this movie and he has no idea that the character that he will be most known for for the rest of his career is is making his film debut that summer in theaters. (laughs) That's true. Thanos in the post-credit scene of Avengers. What a crazy, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that's so interesting. Continue. Yes, tell us all about him. Yeah, what a moment in time that was. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) So, it was the awards dinner at the DGAs, uh, the Directors Guild Awards. I remember Uh, it well. (laughs) <laughs> Josh Brolin was there with the Coen brothers uh, for their work on uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Barry Sonnenfeld was there. He would later win that night for his work directing Pushing Daisies. Oh. And uh, Barry Sonnenfeld got his start being a director of photography with the Coen brothers, and they were heavy collaborators. So the Coen brothers and Barry Sonnenfeld and Josh Brolin all get to talking. Josh Brolin charms Barry Sonnenfeld, starts doing some impressions. One of those impressions is Tommy Lee Jones. And Barry Sonnenfeld's like, oh my God, I've never heard. It's like, I've never heard someone do Tommy, but that's totally Tommy. That's amazing. Yeah. And so when like 2009, 2010 rolls around, they're writing the movie. Josh Brolin was who they reached out to. And according to Josh Brolin, this was the the only other role that he obsessed over as obsessively or worked on as obsessively as uh, George W. Bush. Oh, uh, I forgot that was him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Josh yeah. Brolin uh, flew out to Mexico where there'd be no cell phone service. And he just watched Men in Black over and over again mm-hmm. and clips of Tommy Lee Jones talking over and over again and said he would just rewind men in black until he got each line like note perfect. And uh, it worked out. Barry Sonnenfeld said it felt like he was directing one actor the entire. So the way the production worked out is they filmed everything set in 2012 before the Christmas break mm-hmm. and everything set in 1969 is like after the break. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, it was like seamless. I think their chemistry is seamless. <sighs> But even more than doing like a great K impression, like there's this line that, that Jay repeats is like, man, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. And like, there's a warmth to Josh Brolin's K. Mm-hmm. There's like, you get like, oh, he really does seem like a younger guy. But like, yeah, I think it, I think it really kicks the movie up a notch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like yeah. a playful K. He, he, he did an amazing job. That, yeah. That's the one thing that I remember hearing about the movie when I didn't watch it when it came out was that Josh Brolin is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he absolutely was. There's also a fair amount of prosthetics in this character. The cheeks have been uh, remodeled to look more like Tommy Lee Jones. The nose has oh. been uh, more Tommy Lee Jones. And then his uh, his brows and earlobes. That's really uh, impressive because it never occurred to me that there were any prosthetics right, So yeah. while watching it. Like, those are flawless prosthetics. That's really yeah. good. Yeah, that's really- like really the, the character and the prosthetics are really bleeding together. Yeah, yeah, so, really yeah. good. Whereas, like you know, you look at something like um, uh, Looper, right? Yeah. Right. And the prosthetics in Looper are like 
you're trying to make a dude who looks absolutely nothing like right uh like bruce willis look like bruce willis and it comes off a little silly a little fake right he doesn't it's it's almost becomes like a prosthetic version I, I really like both of these movies yes but in the way that <laughs> uh steve rogers in the first captain america doesn't look like a real human yes right he he looks like a special effect right uh joseph gordon levitt joe doesn't look like a person he looks like like a, i don't know like a character yeah yeah, yeah right absolutely like like uh like an snl character or something yeah. the, the scariest and, saddest yeah well the scariest and saddest moment in that movie is that moment when they have bruce willis and the joseph gordon levitt hair for like oh, a brief yeah. second uh, and then it's when you're bruce transitioning willis. to like as he's getting older yeah uh, i remember that yeah yeah but this was like flawless was rick baker still doing the the uh makeup for oh this boy one? howdy was he oh great uh, this, <laughs> so this is still before he retired when did, what did he retire he's uh, according to the book that i read he's just sort of quote in the twilight of his career and has just become like really selective okay about what he wants to work on now okay uh but yeah this was the uh yeah th- th- this had over 100 127 unique aliens uh more than either men in black movie combined wow and wow. uh when rick baker got the the script and saw that he'd be traveling back to the 60s he was ecstatic he grew up on that generation of science fiction with star trek and the outer limits yeah and twilight zone and so he really leaned into that yeah and if you watch like the the mib headquarters like a lot of those aliens have a lot more of that classic energy it rules Mm -hmm. yeah all of the creature design in the 60s absolutely rule i'm not i'm not crazy about the background characters in like the modern day stuff Mm -hmm. but in all of the 60s stuff it absolutely rules and we're not even at my like favorite character design (laughs) um but like yeah, all of the all like the the guy like calling home from for his dad. Um, dad, I'm on Earth. I need bail. Yeah, like I love that. Uh, the fit the goldfish ladies. Um, really, really cool. The like uh, bird people. The really brightly colored like bird people. Yeah, yeah. Like all of that stuff was really, really, uh, just amazing work from Rick Baker. Um, just oh, so good. <laughs> I love all the old fashioned technology. They have a neuralizer, but it's either this giant thing. Or it's a 26K modem. Yeah, like attached <laughs> to a belt with like, <laughs> I, I, I love I love both like old fashioned neuralizers. I think they're so cool. No, definitely. Just like that, that was kind of a, so the movie deals with two eras. Mm-hmm. Men in Black headquarters in 1969 is the same set and layout as 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rules that they changed, there's orange. Oh. In 1969, Men in Black. Okay. Uh, according to Bo Welch, orange just screamed 1969. Okay. So yeah. you see, like, some of the seats are orange. Yeah. Uh, there's also, like, some wooden desks, some browns that are being introduced. Yeah. And uh, as far as the guns are concerned, the theme was, like, gas-powered and tubes. Yeah. Nice. So, okay, let's design the 69 guns first, the classic old school like space guns and then say, well, what if in the future they're, like, remixing these designs? Right. So even like the newer guns, when you see them, they're a little bit more liquidy gas centric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. And I love I love the added audio design of all the typewriters. Yeah. Whenever you're in the 1960s, like Men in Black headquarters, there's just typewriter sounds everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. which I really, really like. I think that's really cool. So we go to the bowling alley at this point. We meet the guy whose head is a bowling ball or head is being used as a ball is used as a bowling ball and easily removed and for some reason a man with a head like that gets a job at a bowling alley which i don't know uh i feel like i would avoid uh any area that would remind people that they could roll my head around but 
Uh, so so okay. So the the scene where he Jay bowls with this dude's head, right? right? And it resets. He bowls with it multiple times because it resets, comes up the the ball return, right? And all all I was thinking at the time is like, oh god, this is horrifying. Oh wait, his head is fine. And the reason that I thought it was horrifying was because of Kingpin, the movie where Woody Harrelson lost his hand yeah. in the ball return. <laughs> they like shoved his hand into the ball return to like cut his hand off or mangle it or whatever it is that happened. So like I was terrified for this guy's head, but then <laughs> so now I don't know what's true. Are those things really dangerous or are they actually not that dangerous? I don't I know. I think Men in Black 3 is the more realistic one. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think you should stick your hand in there. <laughs> you stick your hand in there. Well, next time I go to a bowling alley, I'll just do it. I also miss going to a bowling alley. I was yeah, gonna say, when's enough. the next time you're gonna go to a bowling alley? <clears throat> I don't know, man. Uh, well, at the bowling alley, K gets a call from Young O, mm-hmm. played by Alice Eve. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, it was originally going to be played by Gemma Arterton, who had to leave due to scheduling conflicts. Oh. I actually think Alice Eve might. Be, I don't know. I, I kind of see the the timeline clearer between the two of them, Emma yeah. Thompson and Alice Eve. I like Alice Eve. I like her a lot. I think that she's not given a lot of opportunities, I think, to like really shine mm-hmm. as like a character actress, as the character actress that you think that she is, like based on like the really good performances that she gives. And, you know, it's that side effect of like really attractive woman, got to put her in really attractive woman roles instead of like letting her like play around and be like a character actor like she is inside, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, I, I see a lot of actresses and, and actors for that matter um, that are just like too conventionally attractive that aren't able to do like the character character thing it's kind of it's one of the it's one of the it's something that sticks in my craw in terms of villains is that like we have one men in black female villain and it's like so boring and such a non-character and then yeah they correct it by giving boris a little bit more to do but it's like another white guy well he's not white oh jermaine oh yeah my mistake yeah Yeah. uh i almost like getting mars attacks vibes from alice eve's hair yeah absolutely yeah yeah because it's like the beehive thing right Yeah. yeah Yeah, I wish we would get more of her. Do you ever see um she's out of my league? Yeah. Or, uh, underrated rom-com, honestly. Um it's like it's kind of like a, you it's know, like a late it's like an early 10s rom-com. Yeah. Jay Baruchel. And it got looped in with like the Apatow like everything we're making it all up kind my of vibe. Dick, my dick. Yeah, but it's not that really when you watch it. It like it feels a little more structured than a lot of like Apatow comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I, I, I think that movie's, uh, underrated. I have also haven't seen it in 10 years, so, um, <laughs> no promises, but I remember at the time being like, that's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Anyway, Jay Baruchel should be in a men in black. Oh man. Yeah. Jay Baruchel. But like, as a men in black agent or as an alien. Oh, wow. Both. How to try alien. I don't know. I don't know how I got here, but like, for some reason my, my head just went to like, God, I would love to see like John Cusack and Joan Cusack in a Men in Black movie. Wow. Joan Cusack would be a great like, oh. Yeah. Right? Like head behind the desk. Like yeah. senior agent. Absolutely. Oh, man. John Cusack should play Edgar Allan Poe. John, John, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. But like John Cusack would be like a good villain. Yeah. You know? that's, yeah. that's who I was thinking. Yeah. Or like he'd be a good like weathered agent. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I like an John agent Cusack. that's been around the block. Yeah. Like mustache um, guy who you got to wipe at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so the bowling alley begets the Warhol party and the factory. Yeah, the factory. There's this really uh, I, I, I don't I don't know why I'm so charmed by this moment, but there's this moment where they're walking up the stairs talking about what they're going to do when they get in there. And there's these um, I, I, I think they're twin actresses, but like they're made up to look the same species and they're wearing the same clothes. They're coming down the stairs and they both look 
so excited to be dressed up in like <laughs> in like this alien thing and they're gonna be on camera as they're walking and like not only do we have to walk but josh brolin has to like almost run into us and then walk around to the other side to avoid us and so everyone's gonna be looking at us and i was just thinking like i hope you two had a really good day that day that's all i could think of when i was watching that scene because <laughs> sometimes i just think about like these actors who have like these day players you know that don't have any lines but like they get to dress up and then they get to be like the focal point of like a shot. And that's like got to mean everything to them at the time. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Oh, well, shut said. Yeah. Wearing like great Oscar, like, yeah. Costumes, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Costumes. Yeah. Everyone at the factory was looking nice. Yeah. There's some true. great costumes and great like mod looks. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Hader as, as not Andy Warhol or as, as Andy Warhol. Yeah. But Andy Warhol's not real. Yeah. And so this is when we kind of get to uh, something that I'm, I don't know, kind of a sign in 2012 and now that I noticed about the movie is that some of the jokes aren't quite as like a lot of the back and forth isn't that funny. Yeah. Uh, this is when we get Will Smith saying that I would slap the shiznit out of Andy Warhol. And yeah, that was a yeah. bad line. I-, I forgot when Izzle shiznit stuff would stop being like, but I know, but it was already there by 2012. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh, Will Smith's a dad now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, that's bad. But then most of it, most of it just isn't funny. But, like, not in a way that is, like, a, a rejection of funny. It's more of, like, just comfy, you know? Like, yeah. you're just like, oh, this is comfy. Like, I, I'm, I'm comfy with this back and forth. Yeah, when but, it tries to go into, like, laugh out loud comedy mode, it's, like, maybe not the best. Yeah, right, right. But I, I like the, the comfy stuff. Yeah. 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 It's where I meet Griffin, right? This is where we meet my favorite character. He is hands down the best character. Griffin is great. Yeah, Griffin, the time possibility alien. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and I love his design. We don't get to see the design until a little later. But uh, he but but his costume design for starters rules. Um, I he's so specific looking, and he you just want to hug him like he just. <laughs> it's it's such, a, it's such an accomplishment of you know a michael stuhlbarg is just hell yeah freaking one of the greatest actors living another coen brothers uh yes. recruit yeah a simple man yeah and uh and yeah but you're right his costume the layers and his hat is just so immediately disarming and cuddly and like you you fall in love with him yeah immediately without even knowing that he's like kind of the linchpin of the whole plot right Right. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, it's also hella frustrating because, again, like the Lara Flynn Boyle problem versus Boris, it's like, oh, they corrected it. Here we have the Rosario Dawson of this movie. And they corrected the problem with Rosario Dawson. But yet again, they gave it to a male actor, <laughs> the like, part yeah. of a male. Yeah. And so you're like, man, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you guys are solving the problem, but you're not solving the problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, like Michael Stuhlberg, such a. I think what I miss the most from two to three more than is the intelligence mm-hmm. and having this really kind of wise, graceful, beautiful character have these kind of philosophical as existential ponderings and questions in the middle of your like Memorial Day weekend summer blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And it's kind of that kind of stuff wasn't in the second one. Yeah. Instead, we had like the little people in the closet or the, the locker, locker the, lock, the locker village. Stuff like that, where it's like, people yeah. can be small sometimes. And it's like, yeah, great, great. Thanks, movie. <laughs> Which is why we should know to look for them inside cakes. Yes, yes, that's true. You're right. If we had learned the lesson from Men in Black 2, Boris the Animal would not have ever been <laughs> released that, from that prison. That lesson's in Men in Black hey. 1. Hey, that's yeah. a small thing. There might be something smaller inside. <laughs> <laughs> then we get, uh, we get the great scene in the diner with the dumbass pie. 
<laughs> yeah, where they, they, they open up, they have their heart They to open heart. up to each other, the dumbass pie scene. Kay has a meeting that I'm convinced, I don't want to speculate, I'm convinced that this is kind of almost meta commentary on the script of like, look, sometimes you get really in your head and you don't know what's in the next, you just got to go to a diner and get some pie and talk about anything that isn't the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's they, great advice. Yeah, yeah, it's solid advice. And I, I like that it comes from Kay. And mm-hmm. Kay's like, come on, a- ask me something. Like, a- ask me whatever you want. And, and Jay's like, oh, I wanted to do this in Act One. I, I was delighted by that. And we get yeah. like the story about how he was just like being super adorable with O, hanging out, playing darts at a pub. And Jay's like, oh my God, like, dude, what happened to you? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Once again, what happened to you? So before yeah. before the before they left Griff, Griff kind of mentioned that such and such was going to be a miracle of a game. Mm-hmm. And Will concludes that uh, they have to go to Shea Stadium. Because of the Mets. Because this the is Mets. the year the Mets yep. miraculously win all of the things. The World Series. Yeah, all of the things. <laughs> we get the circle bikes uh, in the Mets scene. Because like we do, they go, they run into mm-hmm. him. He does his whole thing where he like shows them what he's seeing. Yeah, I really, fun. I really, really like the Mets baseball scene where grips like because this ball was made this way because mm-hmm. this guy's dad because this guy was born this instead of if she, in another universe he would have been born a woman and a typist but he's this and it kind of just lays out the movie's philosophy mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. this like dance between providence and intervention griffin yeah, is a I very doctor who character very doctor who character yeah of like you know, having all the knowledge in the universe in multiple universes all at once, but also only appreciating the little thing. His his favorite human memory is this like one baseball game. Yeah. 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 I, love I, I love that. And I also love when uh, Jay says like, this, this is how you live your entire life. This is incredible. And Griffin just goes, it's a giant pain in the ass. But yeah. sometimes it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes him not, it, it kind of keeps him from being too whimsical. Right. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, this is just like a dude. Yeah, he's like, it's a giant pain in the ass, but I've learned to cope. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's it's like, yeah, that's that's perfect. That's Mm -hmm. that's so good. And Um, yeah, we get the the monobike chase, which was a a Barry Sonnenfeld idea mm -hmm. from back in the day that they were then able to. They found out that there is some historical precedents of people trying to make something like this. Yes. But uh, obviously it's not in in common use today. Right, Right. And you know why it's not in common use today, right? Yeah, because of the way Will Smith rides it. <laughs> no. So they tried this, and theoretically, these things work, and they work fine. They can run. The problem mm. is you're on a bike that's in a giant circle, which means there's something directly in front of your eyes, and it is the wheel of your bike. Oh, uh, yeah. That makes sense. Wow. So that you would need out. to be slightly off to the side, but then again, giant blind spot right in front of you. Right. So it's not yeah. that these things don't work. It's right. that you, you can't safely use them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We get the Texas two-step scene, which I really like, where he's like, hey, partner, I ever teach you the Texas two-step? And he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's like, oh, yeah, these guys have been together for 10 years. Of course he did. I love that. I thought that was, I think that's really great. That was also amazing. Also, super underrated scene. I never hear anyone talk about it, but it rules. Boris versus Boris. Boris v. Boris. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's the original vision v. vision. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the the other short thesis? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that scene and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier where there is a there's a really fun laugh out loud moment at that scene, but I wouldn't call either Boris like funny. Yeah. But just the reality yeah. of the situation just led to like the good kind of men in black comedy. For right. Me. They're just so aggro with each other and they're <laughs> so mad at the other one 
for doing the thing that they did. You know, like it's, it's if you so hadn't good. have failed in the future, then I would. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Neither of their argument makes sense. Right. So so then we get we realize that all of this is connected to the moon launch. Yes. Um, the 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 moon the moon landing launch the launch that led to the moon landing. yeah at Cape Canaveral and the little story behind that <laughs> is October of two thousand and nine the fortieth mm. anniversary of the moon landing oh and Ethan Cohen was watching uh the program on like CNN like the 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 event the fortieth anniversary and it was then that he realized oh my god it's so simple the finale of the movie has to be at Cape Canaveral I I think it's crazy. That he didn't see it before then, like because mm. it feels so obvious in the, exactly the way, like he like he said, like <laughs> of course it's this. Oh my god, yeah. But like it seems so obvious when it's happening because I was watching the whole thing and I'm like, you know, the whole mid century design aesthetic that Sonnenfeld is really into doesn't actually match 1969. 1969 is like the aesthetic of 69 is starting to merge into the 70s, and so you're starting to get like the orange, orange and ugly green. And you're starting to see some browns and yellows, some longer and hair, like longer hair, hippies, which aren't really a mid-century aesthetic, right? Way more in the, into the seventies vibes. And so you would think if you're going to go back to the sixties, they would go back to like the early sixties. No, no later than like 65. Like right? Camelot JFK days. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the fact that, this they went back to 69 it seems so obvious like oh of course that's why it has to be 69 is because of this um and so it's it's just surprising that like it took the anniversary for him <laughs> to like put it together it's funny by the time we got to cape canaveral i thought like wow the trick of this movie is i'm thinking i actually don't get what was so what was taking them so it it seemed easy yeah the plot actually seemed pretty simple mm-hmm. and i'm like oh that's how you know they did a good job right is because i can't tell the like freaking months of effort and headbanging that it took these three guys to write the script right and then this is when we get the rocket packs which i think is a really fun stupid so stupid but like (laughs) so fun design i i really i really like the giant rockets on their backs they're they look like dalek bodies yeah they're like they're like jet engines Mm -hmm. um on their backs i i that's so stupid and fun i love it so much (laughs) Uh, something that was explored in the in the the visual guidebook that I read, but I didn't realize wasn't in the movie, is apparently that is kind of what O did to break out of the glass ceiling. Is she led the design of the jetpacks and even like the personal neuralizer? Oh, nice. Okay, very cool. And so they, then they fly. It was one of the universes where they didn't explode. Right. They get arrested by NASA security, led by Mike Coulter. Luke Cage himself. Luke Cage himself, Mike Coulter. Griffin says the only way out of this is with the truth. Jay tells the truth. Kay tells the truth. And it's not until Griffin just shows him the truth that anything actually happens. So I don't know how. It's also uh, a very Doctor Who move. Yes. The mind meld. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So we get a final battle with both Boris's versus Jay and Kay. And it was then that Scott clocked one of the only time travel plot holes that we found in the movie yeah we can't i can't figure it out so sam i'm gonna lay you this is the trolley scenario all right so uh so 2012 (laughs) boris is shooting spikes at will smith yes will smith eggs him on calls it boris the animal yes shoots spikes and he takes every single spike yeah and then he grabs boris and they fall he's falling so he uses the time jump device travels a few seconds back in time Mm-hmm. Right. Boris shoots arm stocks again. 
But now, having been hit, Will Smith remembers each time, dodges all of them. Yeah, he like even as he's running the first time and he's getting hit, he says right, left, center, and he gets hit right, left, center. Yes, mm-hmm. go, yeah, yeah. And so then they fall, and then Boris, like, then he time jumps again, Boris dies. Right. right. Scott noticed, what is it, why wouldn't Boris know? Why wouldn't Boris remember if he time jumped also? Also, now, in retrospect, when Jay went back in time to time jump, he was still himself from 2012 time jumping into 1969 so why when he time jumped doesn't he still have the spikes in his chest that's a better question the (laughs) the answer to the first question is because it's will smith's thumb that crosses that breaks the light barrier so okay so you were right your instinct was right nick yeah it's because will smith is the one that does the doohickey okay i mean will smith falls at the same time as other people and they see him so it's like all this stuff's happening which by the way the fall does not kill old boris that's right. The engine does, the, right? And the, yeah. and the rocket engine does. I don't know why he didn't have all the spikes in him. That's the part where it actually is, a, okay. is an inconsistency. Cool. Yeah. So, you failed, David. <laughs> if, if, it, if Will Smith had gone back and when he lands in the past, his suit is a suit, is like a, something from the 60s, then that would have fixed it. Right. Mm. But that didn't happen. And so, therefore. Right. Yeah. Therefore, it should maintain continuity. Mm. So, just when everything seems like it's been restored, Kay is having a conversation with Mike Coulter. Then the young Boris comes in at the last minute, kills Mike Coulter. Mm-hmm. Kay corrects his mistake from the alternate timeline, takes Jay's advice, and murks Boris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boris, the animal's dead. And yeah. it's revealed that Mike Coulter was actually Will Smith, Agent Jay's dad. Right. Mm-hmm. And that this mm-hmm. event is the reason that Jay grew up without a father. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hate all of this. Yes, and so just to keep going, just dig the knife in. Uh, young Jay, who comes out of the car, it's like, where's my dad? And then we're left to presume that this conversation and neuralizing young Will Smith, and like I'm going to shepherd this kid and kind of watch him from afar, mm-hmm. that this is kind of what led to him becoming the weathered Tommy Lee Jones that we meet in 2012. Right. I don't think about that when I watch Men in Black one because I don't I don't like it. I I like I like it that I like <laughs> the idea of Tommy Lee Jones just saw promise in this kid, and it was like I think this guy's got what it takes. Agreed. That being said, I do think the story in Men in Black three is like sweet, mm-hmm. emotionally. I, I like it, but I don't like that it course corrects the series. I think on the surface, sort of like I like that like they have this bond. I. It feels too neat in the sense that, like, it, it, it's too much of a full circle for me. But I also don't like, that is Will Smith's father. He just got killed, and we don't care. We move on, and we're like, oh, Jay and uh, 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 Kay are now having this bond over there, while Will Smith's dad is lying dead in front of the, the tunnel opening. Mm. right and And will smith is watching this whole thing happening and processing what's going on how he's bonding with k and not oh my god i've always had this thing in my head about how the how my dad left turns out he like was he died yeah murdered by an alien i and i like i'm not even having a moment of like oh that's my dad on the ground right there i can't even go and have a connection with this man Mm -hmm. it it also felt cheap because they met him five minutes ago Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if it had been someone who had been involved like if this had been x or someone, anyone else who'd been involved with them over the like, if literally we'd been a, like we've been able to establish a relationship with Will Smith's father, it wouldn't. It would have. It just feels emotionally manipulative to introduce this guy, 
kill him. It was your dad all along. And then we're back in the present and, oh, you were my dad all along. I sure was. I don't like it. So much like the character of Griffin uh, in this film, I contain multitudes. (laughs) I both love Men in Black as it stands on its own. I also love this ending. I don't agree with you that it's cheap because they were setting it up the whole movie. You know, with with hints to his father, hints to the thing that broke Kay. I, I think it was all set up very well. I don't think there's any room for him in this movie as a as a yet another character because we're already having to deal with a young K that we're introducing in this. And these movies are about J and K. They're not about Jay's father. So Jay's father just being an additional plot point doesn't bother me because this is a story about J and K, not a story about Jay's relationship to his father. I think I kind of see where both of y'all are coming from, where yeah. like it's so obvious because like never once in both movies are, are Jay's parents even referred to right. because it right. doesn't matter and it's not important to the right. series. But then they kind of knew that they wanted this to be like the trilogy capper. Mm-hmm. Who are these two? So they were like, we wanted to make uh, there's like uh, quotes from Parks and the screenwriters of like, we like the idea of Kay turning out to be this parental father figure that's been looking out for Jay all along. Mm hmm. I don't need that emotionally as a fan of those characters. Right. I guess I get where they were coming from. Right. And so the like, well, what if he started talking about his dad all of a sudden in this one? Right. And yeah, like it is kind of like because it is ultimately about J and K, the dad ends up being like a casualty in more ways than one. Sure. Where like he's very clearly just supposed to come in at the last second. Mm-hmm. And like, and yeah, like I I, I could see like it, 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 it is very like, oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. It feels truncated. I, I honestly think it it feels that way because we spent too much time with him because it's it's too much to not feel like we should have spent more time with him, but not but like it should have been less time for what they did. Yeah, yeah no, I absolutely agree. Like because I, I was thinking like I think it would be more interesting if a bus gets exploded. Boris takes out a bunch of civilians and then we take out Boris. All this happens. And then we see this kid. He's like, yeah, I'm waiting for my daddy. Just went over there. Oh no. Like, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Cause Boris, I think this might have the highest body count of any men in black movie. Like mm-hmm. Boris like murders people. Mm-hmm. And it's so like classic MIB fashion, the murders are very like mm-hmm. callous and gruesome. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been a, a moment if he just like a random guard that he killed just turned out to be Jay's dad. Right. Because it does feel like they're kind of setting it up, leading you on a little bit, making him this like ultimate like hey you want to join the men in black like i can't i have a, yeah. well, I have a son yeah well i also think another problem is that it's not k's fault like k didn't do anything that caused yeah. jay's father to die it was like his foolhardiness or youth like come on let's kill the alien together oh, right no, right killed. yeah like oh you know like i have to i gotta i gotta be by the book and i gotta be colder because yeah. uh, this is what happens when i'm not that never happens. So no, but something that could have happened is if all this happens and then young Jay James at the time sees what's going on and Kay has to neuralize this child. Well, yeah, presumably I guess that's what he did. Yeah. In the movie when he neuralizes Jay. Right. He's so callous about neuralizing people mm. from this point forward that like, this is the one where it, ah, yeah. Oh my God. Wiping someone's memory is not great. Yeah, now yeah. this kid is going to resent his dad, who I know. Who literally, the man literally saved my life, and I and I have to taint his memory. Although he did say that your father was a hero, that's the only thing you need to remember. So yeah, um, that's uh, that'd be interesting. Like if if Will Smith was like, because at the 
well, it's interesting because the one, the line that we get, he's like, oh yeah, I used to play catch with my, I used to play catch with my dad. I throw it against the wall and it wouldn't, he wouldn't catch it because he wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is like, are those now replaced with good memories because of what? No, because I think this is what happened in the past. Okay. I think this is real. Okay. okay. Or I think this is consistent, I should say. Got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, but the difference is that he just arrested Boris before versus Exploding killing him. Mikey uh, style. Yeah. That's kind of the part that I think about the most that like kind of like as I think about it, it like kind of infects the rest of the movie mm. because I think that moment just feels a little bit cheap. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think it diminishes things because overall, you're right. It's set up. It's wonderful. There's emotionally, it's impactful. And it establishes the relationship between these people we care about. But at what cost? I I just, I think that ultimately the the issue is that they didn't quite nail it. But, you know, they were also up against the wall in terms of writing the script. So, yeah, um, it, it's like, it's kind of like, I mean, we, we kind of, I think we mentioned this off mic where like hackery is what, not to, not to call this hackery, but that's kind of what, the nature of it is is like they don't have time they're up against the wall let's lean on stuff and kind of like well we know this works we know that like if we make the dad like really if you care about the dad and then kill him it'll be sad and the audience will care right but then kind of like these questions that are like oh wait a second yeah what, what, what does this mean yeah it kind of reminds me of like of wonder woman 1984 where like they had a mission which is like we know we want that hot gal gadot chris pine chemistry again Let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like the way to make that happen kind of makes your movie messier. Right. Even though it yeah. leads to like some really fun moments of Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. Right. right. My favorite right. parts of that movie. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, uh, it's, it's the, it's, the classic. it's, yeah, it's like classic, <laughs> the Steve uh, Trevor problem, <laughs> the classic Steve Trevor problem. And then we return, we are welcomed back into the tens with the sounds of uh, Empire State of Mind mm-hmm. <laughs> with Kay singing along. Yes. Tommy was, Lee Jones. That was great. Yeah. Singing along, getting pie together mm-hmm. as they do. And then and then we get another sort of like men in black ending like we did with the last one where it was like, oh, we're living in the marble. There's a marble in our marble. No, no, and we're living in the airport terminal locker. Yeah, we're living in the airport <laughs> terminal locker. And and this time they're like, OK, let's not just do that move again. Let's try try something else. And they did. And it worked. I liked it a lot. I thought I think that the the Griffin being like, oh, no, is this the is this the universe where Kay forgets to tip and there's like an asteroid coming to the Earth? Which what what him not tipping has to do with an asteroid hitting us? I don't know. <laughs> but um, I I like uh, then he comes back in tips and then a satellite gets in the way. A Bruce um, Wayne satellite. A Bruce Wayne satellite, presumably uh, gets in the way, blows up the asteroid. And uh, everything is uh, all well and good in the movie. And we close out on. with a Pitbull song. Yeah. It, it really is like, um, it does feel like a swan song to the franchise. But in a way of like, and they, they had many adventures to come. You know, that kind of walk into the sunset. Yeah. Um, less so of like a happily ever after. Or riding a giant spider into the sunset. <laughs> yes, exactly. Giant mechanical spider. Yeah. Yeah, I get, you know, yeah, I enjoy this movie and it's a lot of fun. And then also kind of the moments that I touched on where it seems like Will Smith's getting a little old for this shit. No, pun, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where he's, I like, I he don't does know. say that at he one does point. Say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it feels like the book closing of like, I don't think we need any more of these. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we're good. Which Maybe is- we should have made more of these in the 15 years that the franchise was alive. <laughs> more than three. <laughs> Um, or maybe we should have made these three movies a lot earlier than we did, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a fun ride. It's certainly, I don't know, like if, if they were trying, if they wanted men in black to be like their next franchise, 
I don't think, I mean, I guess this wasn't the, I mean, we'll talk about it in the next episode, but right. I think as a standalone movie and as like a cap off to the, these, this trilogy, it's certainly better than the second one. Yeah. And I think recaptures yeah. a fair amount of the magic from the first one. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. Pitbull song back in time. Let's, I guess, like by the by the metric, it does it less of a job. Is it a, of is a, it a cover of the Huey Lee, the Huey Lewis song? <laughs> no, <laughs> I wish. So uh, it samples uh, that Mickey and Sylvia song, "Love Is Strange," that Will Smith hears in the elevator. Ah, the chorus of the song, Pitbull says, "To understand the future, we have to go back in time," mm-hmm. which is thematically correct. But he's not rapping specifically about the plot, which is what I like from the last two. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember <laughs> that summer. My friends and I were ironically fans of the song because it reminded us of the time that we went to go see it at midnight and got a bunch of free swag. But <laughs> now when listening to the song in 2021, it, it genuinely makes me nostalgic. That's great. I, I really like this movie. I am looking forward to watching the next one, even though I am fully aware that I should not be looking forward to watching the next one. Um, but I am I'm curious. I'm now now we're three movies in and now I'm curious enough that I'm like, OK, I'm I'm. I think I'm ready. I'm curious enough that I'm ready to watch this thing. So Sam, did like watching this for the first time, but being like a fan of the Men in Black movies overall, did this kind of make you give the series like a different look or like another? I've always liked Men in Black. I continue to like Men in Black, and I'd always kind of like in the back of my mind been like, "Oh, Men in Black three. I don't need to see that. That's like Terminator three. It's the one you can skip." Mm-hmm. Mm. But no, I I do think this movie is fun and enjoyable, and I think it's worth seeing. The the diminishment of the movie, notwithstanding, I think overall the movie is very fun. I think it captures the essence of the original. And I think it does largely what returns to franchises should do mm-hmm. of capture the spirit of the original, but give us something unique and interesting to go on while also expanding the lore of the characters themselves. Like it hits all the narrative points that something like this is supposed to hit. And I think it does it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It does to me feel like a synthesis of the the first and second movies. Everything that the second movie got wrong, I think this one gets right. But then it also does a few things from the second movie adds to this. So like it really does feel like as much as I don't like the second movie, you really can't watch this movie without having seen the second one. Just for like, I mean, K being unretired for one. But like, I think the tone is this. Like this amalgamation of those two movies. Like if you just went from the first movie to this one, I don't think it would really work as well as it does going from going one to two to three. It's like Bill and Ted. You can you can go one to three, but you really should go one to. Yeah, yeah. Even (laughs) despite the fact that the second Bill and Ted is like is the best one by far, (laughs) no question. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't I don't disagree with that. But uh, but it is it is a crazy movie. uh, The the second one, especially like kind of a reverse. Yeah, where the second one, the second Bill and Ted movie is kind of darker Mm -hmm. and more almost unsettling sometimes. Yeah. Oh, wow. And the first one's very cuddly. Yeah. And sweet. Mm -hmm. It's like the reverse of the Men in Black movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually true. A little bit. Um, Yeah. So. Uh, One more to go. Thanks for being with us, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. You're my, thank you for having me. This is super fun. I, I I loved having a reason to go back and watch this movie. So thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Sam, we alluded to it at the beginning of the movie, but uh, you you have uh, remade Men in Black uh, once. You did that once. Uh, yes. On a on a on a on a podcast, I think that you uh, you might host. I don't know. Oh yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> My podcast is called Ideal Remake. Uh, 
in it, I and a guest or guests who happen to be joining me take a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade, and we discuss what the ideal version of that remake would be. And uh, Men in Black is one of our earlier episodes, so I actually don't remember what we did. <laughs> um, but I just love that movie. Um, and so Ideal Remake, I'm not sure when this episode is coming out, but Ideal Remake is beginning its season four and is now joining Dueling Genre mm-hmm. as part of the Dueling Genre Network. Yeah. So it's, very exciting for me. Yeah. And I presume also all of you. Yes, of course. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. The Discord was really excited. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So check out Ideal Remake. Uh, Sam's podcast. I've been on a bunch of times. I'm sure Nick will be on a, ne- a future episode at some point. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure a bunch of dueling genre people will be on uh, soon. But I've been on, I've been on three it. times. I'm a three time guest. And- I've decided that the next time you're on, Scott, it has to be about a movie you do not have a PhD in. Oh, okay. Fair. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's good. We've <laughs> <laughs> had decades to, to ponder. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's so I've been on Ideal Remake to talk about Spider-Man, uh, Back to the Future, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, Correct. Yes. And uh, each, those are each, all each, very fun. Each of which you've done a minute-by-minute podcast about. Yes, right. correct. Uh, that's why you cannot do that. Yeah. I mean, you're not the next time you're going to be on. We'll be with other people, and it will not be something you've done a minute by minute podcast about. But thank God, uh, the fifth <laughs> element. But all right, <laughs> well, play us um, out, Pitbull. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, duelinggenre.com/support. That's our uh, Patreon page. Uh, become a Dueling Genre Premier Tier member, and you'll gain access to Dueling Genre Versus, uh, which is our rewatch podcast. I think we're in the middle of Batman the Internet Series right now. Um, and uh, and then uh, Dueling Genre Tonight, which is a weekly uh, entertainment news podcast that I host with a revolving panel of Dueling Genre hosts. Um, so uh, check those out. And uh, you'll also have, I think there's 300 podcast patreon exclusive podcast in the archives in the archives and you'll gain access to all of that instantly by joining there's so much there to to check out so um if you if you like that stuff uh check out uh, our patreon and you'll also be able to vote on future mini series on this podcast you're listening to right now uh so follow us on twitter at franchiseography and become a patreon member at duelinggenre.com slash support thank you so much for listening and we'll touch again next week with men in black International. Bye, everybody. Bye.